0: Hey, all geeks, gamers, and everything in between, my name's Bailey. I'm McKenna. And I'm Caden, and welcome
1: to the Hyperfix Nation podcast.
2: Where we talk movies, video games, and TV. So
1: join us,
0: and let's get into it.
1: Tonight, on the Hyperfix Nation podcast, we have a very special guest... Our actual high school film teacher, Trenton McGregor, a very nice fellow. Now let's get into it, shall we? Alright, welcome everybody to the Hyperfix Nation podcast with my co-host that you've already heard about from our intro, Bailey McKenna, I'm Caden, and we have a special guest here today. For those of you listening, uh, this is all of our actual... um, high school video and film teacher. And he's also the coolest teacher I've had, ever. Woo! Yeah,
3: I I mean it! I mean it! Oh stop. You're too kind. I love what you guys are doing, and I support all of you all the time, so... Thank you. Aww. To
1: start with, we wanted to ask you a few questions, kind of about your history with movies, like, do you have a favorite director?
3: Ooh. Well, the answer to that question may make you very angry, Caden.
1: I knew it. I, I knew it was going to be him.
3: So here's my full answer. Here's my full answer. I think that from a long-term perspective, and if I'm advising someone to like watch films that will get them into film, I would recommend Spielberg. Yeah, It's so hard to beat Spielberg.
0: That's Yeah, that's a very good starter one. Not War of the Worlds, though.
3: Yeah, well, you pick his good ones, right? I mean, even if it's E.T., yeah. which yeah. is incredible, but not his best. Anyway, as far as my current favorite director you know before Thor Love and Thunder came out I might have said Taika Waititi (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I,
1: I find that funny because I was the same way I can't pick a one favorite but Taika was in the rotation for favorite well let me elaborate
3: I I think Taika Waititi is still an incredible director I think he got handcuffed by Disney on that one I agree I think that if if you doubt how good Taika Waititi is I'm gonna tell you to go back in time all you listener and go watch hunt for the wilder peeper, people because that is an incredible yeah. film go watch that and or, you'll, yeah. you'll know taika um, waititi is amazing
1: and if you think his movies aren't funny because thor love and thunder was not very funny <laughs> just watch uh, what we do in the shadows because mm-hmm. that still is one of the funniest movies i've ever Great
0: seen yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: but but the answer currently is actually i really 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 enjoy denise Villeneuve. I really did.
1: I, <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that because I remember in class when the Dune trailer first came out, you're like, "Hey, come here, come watch this," <laughs> and I uh, I never saw the movie.
0: That's I fair. I it. remember that yeah. slightly as well. Yeah, it just I didn't want to. I can try and to sell I, you
3: on Dune if you're interested, but I also you know if you're not interested, then I won't try.
1: I specifically was like, eh, it seems too long. Like it's like isn't it like three hours? I say that. But then I saw The Batman four times in theaters. So well, really true. <laughs>
3: we, yeah, we can talk about it
0: if you want. Actually, I would like to ask a question, possibly. possible. Yeah. If yeah, there's any are. specific reason as to why you like Denis, Denis Villeneuve's movies, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, well,
3: I'd say at least partially, I really actually enjoy the slow, contemplative film. Which is partially why... I'm really excited to talk about the film that we're going to talk about today because yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. this is to a T, that's the type of film this is. I love slow movies. And as a great example, I remember one of my first movies I ever fell in love with was one that I watched with my dad called The Great Escape. I told you guys about this before oh. in class.
0: I've heard about that one. I remember yeah.
3: And if you ever want to watch a great old World War II romp that actually is much more than just a romp, it's thoughtful and poignant and you really care about these people in the movie. Great. I can't recommend The Great Escape enough, but it's slow and it takes its time. So that's the type of movie that I generally love, love, love. And Denis Villeneuve generally does a great job of keeping people engaged in the film while still keeping the slow pace that really lets you Slow down and think about what he's trying, and what the actors are trying, and what all the you know not just him, but the entire movie set. Everybody's working to try and mm-hmm. show you with the themes of the movie. I've always yeah. been impressed with him for that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. which I definitely got in prisoners. Like that yeah. one. Like that one. It was. I was hesitant because like, oh, it's like two and a half hours. It, it sounds like I have a lot of problem with time <laughs> for movies. But I was like, oh, this is gonna be boring. But then the time just flew by because I was like, oh, I'm completely invested. Yeah, it keeps so. you pulled in. Yeah.
3: Okay, McKenna, it's your turn to ask me a question. Yep. My turn? Yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: What got you into movies and film?
3: It's a good question. So, there, I mean, there's there's a couple things I could point to. But, I mean, one, I feel like movies are intrinsically baked into American culture. Like, oh, yeah. It's very difficult yeah. to be yeah. an American and not enjoy movies. It's so much a part yeah. of our who we are as Americans. Yeah. Very
0: true. Yeah.
3: So there's that as a baseline. But another big one is when I was in high school, I had some guys at school that I really looked up to. I thought they were just the funniest guys on the planet and they made their own films outside of class for fun. They didn't even do it for school. They just made their own stupid, funny films. And I was enthralled with how hilarious they were. At the time. It was high school humor, so they're not so funny anymore. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> but uh, some of those guys went on to go, and they went to film school. And I, I was just always super impressed. And I love, I think film is just one of the best ways to tell stories nowadays. So I have a question. Okay. This
1: is probably, like, the hardest question you can ask a film person. Do you have a favorite movie of all time? Like, number one, like, favoriteist favorite.
3: Period. End of sentence. Um, yeah, it's so hard to give just one answer. Mm-hmm. I could throw out 5, but just one.
0: Yeah, I was going to I was going to say if you can't throw out a single one, I would say top 5 would be good.
3: Tell you what, I'll give you an uncontroversial top 5 and I'll break it. I'll give it to you from slightly different categories so they don't tread over each other. Okay. So, you guys okay. probably remember this. My favorite animated film is The Iron Giant.
2: Ooh that's a good one Based. <laughs> that is
3: correct <laughs> Love that oh movie. my
1: gosh that is correct now oh, yep okay
3: Into the Spider-Verse gave it a run for its money I loved Into the Spider-Verse fair enough so honorable yeah, mention there yeah. yeah favorite live action uh that's been in like recent years like recent live action film that I've loved uh I Whew, that's a tough one that's really tough oh no that's easy actually I lied everything uh everything everywhere all at once
2: I knew it yeah that movie is it's so, so good.
3: good yeah we'll do one more we'll do yeah. three how's that Kay. uh and then yeah, i already good. gave you my nostalgia pick the one from when i was a kid the great escape yeah the great escape yeah i watched that one with my dad when i was young and i just have the fondest memories and it's not a happy ending movie and i think mm-hmm. that was one of the mm-hmm. movies that kind of informed what i like about movies i remember watching it and watching the ending and being like oh this isn't a happy mm-hmm. ending i really like yeah, this
0: i definitely remember my first time watching like a movie with like a fairly sad ending mm-hmm. i believe it was uh the prestige with christopher nolan
2: oh, that's which great.
0: does not have it's an amazing film but it does not have a happy ending no. i mean somewhat happy ending bittersweet bittersweet and i it stuck with me
3: it's a satisfying ending but it's not happy
0: I have one more question before we get into weekly films, and my question, my last question at least, was what do you think about the current state of film and streaming and all that sort of stuff?
3: You want me to wax poetic for a minute? I can do that. Let's see. The (laughs) current state. You know, that's tough. I think really, interestingly, something unique has happened recently with both Everything Everywhere All at Once and Top Gun 2. Completely yeah. different films, and you, yeah. remarkable for completely different reasons, but they're interesting. And I think every once in a while, a film comes along, and I don't know if it's the stars aligning, but it kind of just nails the zeitgeist of what people are feeling, especially here in American culture again. Um, yeah. And I think everywhere, in, yeah. everywhere, everything everywhere all at once actually really, really nailed what a lot of people are feeling. This sense of, man, wouldn't it be cool... To have an alternate timeline where I could see, like I don't know, it's such a resonating between all the video games that have been coming out recently <laughs> that have hit that theme, and you know the multiverse with Marvel ending, and and yeah. the, you know like that some idea sort of
1: everyone rushing to do a multiverse, right? Yeah. Or
0: or like or like some sort of escapism, I guess. Yes, yes,
3: yeah. isekai and anime, right? Like call it this <laughs> idea, what you will. And it yeah. nailed it. It nailed it. it was. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect film for that. And I, I don't know if there's going to be another one that will do better than it for a long, long time. And if there is, I'll be super happy about it. And then...
0: Yeah, and that's, yeah that's a great way to look at it.
3: On the other side of the spectrum, you have Top Gun 2, which hit a completely different zeitgeist.
0: Mm-hmm. Which, to mm-hmm.
3: me, the zeitgeist is that of the nostalgic boomer, essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But not just... The nostalgic boomer, the nostalgic boomer. That's also still entertaining for everyone else. Yeah, it's yeah. the catch-all. I never film. saw
1: Top Gun too, but the most impressive thing about that movie mm. is it got my dad and my grandpa to like care about movies. Yeah, because like, my dad never goes to the theater. Right. By the way, my dad always listens. Hi, dad. But um, uh, he never goes to the theater. But he went and saw Top Gun like the first day it was out. Oh yeah. He was like, I want, I want to see it. And my grandpa, I think, saw it, like, three or four times. He, like, he put up some Caden Batman numbers. Yeah. And, like, I was impressed because... <laughs> and I never saw it, but I didn't hear a bad review for it. Everyone enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. I I uh, work at a theater, and we got rid of it for... I think maybe 2 days at the most and then they all they told us bring yeah. it back because they want it and I kept getting phone calls while I was gone. It was only gone for 2 days of people being like, "Hey, where's Top Gun? You guys got rid of Top Gun?" By <laughs> yeah. this point, Top Gun has been showing for months. So it's insane how like yeah. people are still seeing it.
0: It was crazy cuz it had been showing for months and our biggest showings like almost always sold out completely of that shows even after even months after and and we were astounded yeah. by it. yeah because we had never seen that
3: this is kind of my point for the current state of film i think top gun 2 and i think everything Every Roll all at once are going to be extremely influential for what studios are going to try to do for the next five and probably 10 years
0: i agree yeah
3: because they happen right after this pandemic and it's got they've got legs man they've got legs
1: So, I think we should move on to uh, movies we saw this week. Uh, So, McKenna, did you see any movies this week?
2: No, actually. I don't think I did. None? However, I finished watching Our Flag Means Death. Have you guys seen that?
0: Yes. I love that show. I have not. I haven't even heard of it. It's a comedy. I don't remember exactly who it was made by specifically, but I do know Taika Waititi (laughs) was a very big part of it, because he... He's one of the main actors. He directed the first episode, and he, yeah. It's just, it has lots of his comedy. All
2: right,
3: I'll tuck, I'll tuck that one away. Tuck that one away. That sounds interesting.
2: It's like Pirates. It's pretty good. And then, um, some, like, romance and stuff in there. And that's pretty much what I've seen this whole week.
0: I didn't watch too much. I watched two different movies. One called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's a new horror movie by A24. Oh, yeah. What Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is, it's basically Scream... But not not the new Scream, the old Scream, but more for our generation, I guess. It's very much a satire on our generation, which is kind of nice. And then the other film that I watched was School of Rock, you know, the one with Jack Black, who's good, good amazing. Movie. Jack Jack Black's amazing. Um, One thing, I did not know it was made by Richard Linklater, who I love as a director. Uh, I've only seen a few other of his films, mainly the Before trilogy with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, which is... One of the best trilogies of all time. And I just think it's so funny that he can go from like these amazing critically like movies that should be should have won Oscars, but I don't remember if they did. And then go to this like really fun stuff like with Days and Confused and with School of Rock, which is still really good. And they're just they're just tons of fun.
3: Uh side note, I just remembered you guys were talking about um Happy Feet in one of the previous episodes. George Miller. Yeah. The director of Happy yes, Feet, yes, directed this is my favorite. All fact. I love of this. the Mad Max films.
1: Yes, and you know it's even <laughs> funnier. Um, so Mad Max Fury Road obviously won like a bunch of Oscars. Love that
2: right?
1: movie. One of my favorites of all time. But um, he did not get George Miller did not get any Oscars from Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. The only Oscar that he has ever won himself was from Happy, feet, Happy Best feet Animated, <laughs> which is just heartbreaking. The wonderful Mad Max irony. Is so good.
3: Yeah. Anyway, you saying a director that bounces back and forth—that made me think of that, and I just thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah.
1: You seen any uh, McGregor?
3: This week, let's see. Um, let me give you the TV answer. I love Survivor. Yeah. Ooh.
1: Everyone's got to have their guilty pleasure, I guess. And let
3: me tell you why. As far as trash reality TV goes, this is the pinnacle trash reality tv it's the best
0: it's either that or the bachelor
3: and the bachelor's (laughs) up there i i'm convinced survivor's better that's my opinion and let me tell you why it's the ultimate social experiment that right now everyone who plays the game everyone who signs up for it they know it's a game right Mm -hmm. early survivor it was a bunch of people like i'm just gonna go out on an island and hope i live and maybe i'll win a million dollars now everyone who goes Mm -hmm. there they are playing they are get it they are cutthroat it's so much fun been watching some Survivor this week, so there's a short nice. answer.
0: Yeah. Anything you've watched recently, Caden? Uh,
1: the only movie that I've seen this week was um, I went and saw the new Dragon Ball movie, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, <laughs> uh, which should win an award for worst title. <laughs> um, and it was actually really good. Like I just expected it to be, you know, silly, goofy. The the animation in this one was really good because it's 3D animated. Mm animated like drawn to look like the anime art style and it actually works really well okay. uh yeah that's all i've really seen
3: oh i just remembered i just remembered my girlfriend and i we watched george of the jungle nice <laughs> no way. and but it wasn't even it wasn't even because you guys mentioned it we had watched it before and then you said in the last episode george jungle and i was like ah i watched that yeah. <laughs> some things didn't age very well at all but when it hits it hits
1: yeah I think it's time for the movie of the week. You picked There Will Be Blood. sure did. Uh, do we want to start with the synopsis or... Yeah, um... yeah, let's,
2: let's start with the synopsis. First, we have our protagonist, Daniel Plainsview. He wants to find oil. Well, Paul Dano comes to him and he's like, hey, I have oil up in my family's place. So pretty much the film is about him getting oil... But he kind of backstabs the family in a way, and the family's, like, super religious. And then there's Paul Dano's brother, which is also Paul Dano, which (laughs) I didn't... (laughs) Paul
1: Dano, too. I didn't
2: know that at first. So when Eli first came on screen... Yeah, when Eli first came on screen, I was like, that's a miniature Paul Dano. How did they get someone to look so much (laughs) like Paul Dano? They got him again. (laughs) And I was like, it's just Paul Dano again. Anyways. Eli's super religious, and is like, join religion. And then he's like, no, I have a boy. And, I don't know, that's that's all <laughs> really.
1: Me boy, me
3: son, me, me, boy. me boy. Okay, so, That was yeah. a pretty good summary of the non-spoilery bits of the film. I am curious if yeah. the other two of you, Bailey Caden, if you, either of you, have something where you're like, ah, but what about this too? I want to see if you guys want to add it. I
0: would just say, personally, I would just say it's like, kind of like a specifically American tragedy All right. So I like,
3: I like, I like those synopses. Those are, those are good. Yeah. I think a couple things I want to add one small correction, McKenna at the very beginning of the film, he's actually mining for silver and gold all by himself. Uh He's down the hole. He's working all by himself and he's just getting, he's looking for silver and gold. And one of the things that Paul Thomas Anderson does well in this film and in his other films is that he doesn't beat you over the head with what's happening in the film. You really have to pay attention And I think the other thing that's interesting, too, is that the film doesn't judge the characters. The film just shows you the characters and allows you to judge them. So, importantly, also in that scene, he, you know, we get... Well, first of all, I guess before I get to that, really quickly, what do you guys think of the soundtrack of this film?
1: I made a note about this. It was, like, so unique and really good. Isn't it, like... It was by... I watched a couple videos. Isn't it by, like, the guy from Radiohead? Is it Radiohead? Or is it something else?
0: I think... I, I don't remember his name. Isn't it... uh, John, Johnny Green something, I believe. I don't remember. Greenwood. And um,
3: is it Johnny? Johnny Greenwood. I'm not sure, but Greenwood for sure.
0: Or maybe it's John Greenwood. Anyways, I love this man because he did two of my favorite scores from last year. That being... One from The Power of the Dog, which, by the way, this movie reminded me a lot of. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, They are very similar, like, kind of critiques on Westerns, I guess, kind of a little bit. And then he also did the score for one of my favorite movies last year in general, that being Spencer, the one with uh, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Spencer's
3: still on my list. I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. The reason I bring up the soundtrack, though, and yes, you're right, it is one of the members of Radiohead. But the thing that I love about the soundtrack in this film is that it doesn't play like a soundtrack. It plays like a horror film that only barely makes you uneasy at most.
1: I actually have a couple notes about it, yeah. Um, one of my notes I took was that it it, it made me think about like the sort of oscar type movies as a whole where you don't think about their score as much but this one actually was like, ooh, this is unique and really good. And one of my favorite things the score did was it would carry over from scene to scene in the same song that were like scenes at completely different times. I was like, that's something you never see. But that it was really cool
0: and unique.
3: And incredibly effective. I agree. Yeah.
0: Johnny Greenwood is definitely really good at making a movie that doesn't seem like it would be kind of like an uneasy film to watch into a very uneasy film to watch.
3: Yeah. In addition to what I said earlier, I think the thing that I love the most about the soundtrack is that this film is one of the only that I can think of that it would work for. And it works so well, I think, because this movie, this film is an uneasy film. You are on the edge of these characters are deep and they are flawed and I'm here for it. And the soundtrack really, really, really conveys that. Exceptionally well.
2: Yep, especially when his son goes deaf and just that mm-hmm. constant banging. That's especially when I heard it.
1: Yes. I loved when he went it's deaf. Really it didn't tell you for a little yeah. bit, but like it implied it because mm-hmm. it made like the like the ringing sound and the muffling. And you could just go, "Oh, I think I get what's about to happen." Yeah.
0: Yeah. The ringing.
3: Again, the movie doesn't beat you over the head. It lets you. It lets you figure it out.
1: My issue with it is while some of the scenes just felt a bit too confusing. Like some of the scenes I didn't get when I watched them, like specifically the beach, right? Like I didn't fully get what was happening there. My brain was like, Oh, is this a, is this, is this fella gay? Is that what this is telling me? Like that was genuinely what I thought the scene was describing. But so then I was like, no, mm-hmm. that can't be it. That can't be it. So I went and I Googled it, and it was like, oh no, that's when he realizes it.
3: Yeah. My mild take, my mild take is that Daniel Plainview is asexual.
1: That's fair. That, that makes sense, yeah. honestly.
3: Yeah. He only cares about the oil. <laughs> yeah, and money. And here is, here's my quick summary of Daniel Plainview as a character. The only thing he's interested in, and he essentially tells you this in the film, he tells his brother, quotes, he tells Henry this. His only thing he cares about is dominating Mm -hmm. other people. That's Mm -hmm. what he's about.
0: That's one thing Mm -hmm. I definitely noticed is how much he loves to have control over both the situation and over lots of people. Which is why I definitely think bringing up parts of the themes of this movie. uh, It's definitely why he doesn't interact well with Eli, a very religious man. Because lots of people of religion... Mm -hmm believe that everything is set in a path for them or it, or like their blessings are from God. While Daniel Plainview is a very man made person. Like he did he built himself up, and so he doesn't want to be like, oh yeah, no, I was given this. No. He wants to be like, yes, no. Yeah. I'm the one who gave this to myself. And to be fair, he did. Oh yeah, he absolutely did, yes. But I think that's why he clashes Yeah,
3: agreed. And for other reasons too. I, I would love to talk more about the relationship between those two characters because it's the most important relationship in the film in my book so before we go too far though McKenna I want to hear your take on what you think about Daniel Plainview or if you feel like we've said enough already I want to hear what you have to think about a a different character
2: um yeah I just I think Daniel Plainview is an absolute he's a villain of this story it's really interesting Mm -hmm. but um I think I'd like to talk a little bit about Eli because Eli reminds me just of pretty much any, he reminds me a lot of, um, Andrew Garfield's character in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Pretty much they're both kind of like this idea where they are the hand of God pretty much, and they will tell you what you need to do, what you need to do to have the Savior's love, what what, what to do to be saved and stuff, and, um, it's just kind of like that manipulation, and If you're religious, um, I'm sorry, but kind of just like that manipulation that he uses with those people in the church, especially that old lady in that moment. I was like, does he have a hand fetish? What's going on? But with that, (laughs) to
3: me, Elijah or Eli, I should say, Eli and Daniel, the two main characters in my by my estimation, are essentially the same person, actually. Not quite the same person, but
0: but just the yeah, I would definitely like to would, sides of yeah, the same. If you'd coin, yeah. elaborate on
3: that, I'd like to know. I'd love to. So more of the synopsis. So Daniel Plane finds oil. He starts these small oil mining operations, but he's not able to make money because as it turns out at the time, the shipping costs for oil were incredibly high. So he's making pennies on the dollar for the product he's putting out, and he's pissed about it. Yeah. So out of nowhere, this guy comes to his office essentially and says, Hey, I know where oil is. And this this is Paul Dano, but he's playing a character named Paul. So this guy shows up, Paul, and he's like, Hey, will you buy information from me? And Daniel, like a good businessman, which is to say someone who's manipulative and will cheat people out of money, tries to get him. Exactly. Tries to get him to admit information so that he doesn't have to give him any money. And one of my favorite lines from the character, he says, Mm -hmm. I'd appreciate it. If you didn't think I was stupid. So the scene changes where Daniel Dillis essentially gives up. He's like, all right, fine. I'm not going to be able to manipulate. He tries multiple, multiple times. And Paul turns out to be too quick on his feet to let anything go. Uh And so they agree. And he ends up paying him $500. He tells him the information and another favorite part of mine. He says, if I go out there and I find out that you've lied to me, I will track you down. I will find you and I will bury you. Is that okay with you? And Paul goes, That's okay with me. (laughs) So he pays them 500 bucks. They get the information. They go off and they meet Eli, like McKenna said, like was talking about, and they find the oil and they start drilling. So now we have these two characters and I'm going to talk about the scene where Eli and Daniel Day-Lewis meet each other for the first time, which is they're out hunting quail in air quotes, because again, Daniel Day-Lewis is a smart guy. Daniel Plainview, he is trying to deceive the people that live there. He's trying to get a deal. The dad doesn't know this. The, you know, old bumbling father, pretty effete, powerless character. Uh, But Paul, Paul Dano, who is now Eli, does know this. So he goes out there, you're hunting quail, huh? Daniel Lewis, that's right. You know, and he's trying, they're trying to pull information out of each other, right? And this is the point in the film where it becomes at least apparent to me that these two characters Mm -hmm. are as smart as each other. They understand Uh each other. They know what each one is trying to accomplish and they go about it in different ways. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis goes about it through capitalist means. Money is his power. Power is his power. Whereas Eli uses religion as his power.
2: Yeah, and I think, like, because I was talking about um, the eyes of Tammy Faye, I yeah. I looked up the guy, um, the televangelist. Uh, evangelist. It was Jim Baker. But pretty much the same thing with Paul and him is that they built their empire yeah. of, like, uh religion and stuff based on like gathering all these people and telling them all this stuff. Pretty much the same thing that Paul did with like having a bunch of people telling them that they can, like he can heal them and everything. And that just reminded me a lot of the actual events that have happened. Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, again, since yeah. this film, I view this film as being in its own way, very critical of religion.
1: It's critical of religion and capitalism at the same time.
3: Both Which is so fun. This is just a great movie. And critical of the relationship between capitalism and religion. Yeah.
1: yeah. But the reason I say that it's especially
3: critical of religion is because, and I'm going to try and draw this parallel quickly. We have the scene, I've abandoned my boy, I've abandoned my boy. (laughs) Which is, we'll talk about it, one of the scenes where Daniel is being honest with himself out loud for one of the first times Mm -hmm. that we see. There's a couple times it happens, and that's one of them. Directly paralleled with the end of the film when he makes... Eli do the same yes. thing and you can see it in Eli Paul Dano what a great actor he does the exactly. same thing he admits yeah. he's a fraud and that he's not and he's a false prophet and the same thing happens and you can see he's admitting something out loud he's never yeah. admitted before and he understands himself that this is oh, true yeah. to him at least that's yeah. what I get out of the film
1: I love the parallels between those two and that's what scenes. I mean like I know they're it's the like, same character in my head it was
3: kind of like um uh
1: Daniel had kind of like internalized that and he's like I'm gonna kind of like he thought about how he was forced to go and, like, testify at the church. And he's like, I'm going to get him back one of these days. Like, when I reveal it, I'm going to get his ass with this one. And he did. He got his ass with that one.
3: So, that's what I mean, is the film is especially critical, because it takes its main, most devout character, and at the end of the film it says, (laughs) yeah, this guy is also full of shit.
0: And he knows it, it too. it It breaks the facade. And is like, yeah, He knows. He knows. But he won't ever admit it, or he does, but
3: so I think for the remainder of the podcast, I'm not trying to be critical of religion. I'm
2: yeah, taking
3: the what the film puts out for religion, and yeah. we're trying to analyze it. So if you are religious, yeah. believe me, I am oh. not trying to put you down or any religion down for that matter, yeah. yes, if we're, anything, we're if anything,
0: yeah. if anything, we're talking about some of the flaws of, of pe- that people take of religion.
2: Exactly. Like people who manipulate it.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Which it's the same thing that people can do with capitalism. With no. with Daniel exactly. with Daniel which,
1: which does it's a really interesting kind of dichotomy. Now that like now that I'm thinking about it more, it it makes a lot more sense like thinking about the movie as a whole as a comparison of religion versus capitalism oh so i wanted to mention something one of the my favorite parts of the movie was the boy uh i think h.w h.w yeah because i thought of george (laughs) bush um but uh for the the chunk of time that we see in the longest that actor Uh, this is the only thing he's ever been in the
3: boy the young boy or the older version of him the
2: young boy because the young he's not even an actor the young boy
3: only
1: thing he's ever been in yeah he's not even an actor like I I actually read something about it where I guess like his mom pulled over um uh Paul Anderson and was like hey my son's an actor (laughs) haha you should give him a role and Paul was like okay
2: yeah, they filmed by a school or something and he goes to that school and his mom was like, "You should put my child in here."
1: <laughs> my boy. <laughs> but and then he like crushed it. Like he was insanely good oh, and then yeah. he just went, "You know what? <laughs> one and done." He straight up Harper lead it. He's Very like, "I'm going to do one. It's going to do great. I'm out. Never going to be bad. <laughs> Never going to mess it up." Like he he did
3: really good. And I think um, another really interesting relationship that must be examined if you're going to do this film justice is the relationship between Daniel and his son. Yes. Yeah. Which I guess we'll have to get to because...
1: Oh, that was the spoiler. Um, the fact we'll that do. his son is adopted. That was the uh, spoiler that I saw uh, in the synopsis. Yeah. It was like in his adopted son and I'm like, his what? Uh-huh. Like, it, it made me mad because like that would have been such a good reveal for me if I didn't know it. To be it.
3: fair... The film doesn't hide it from you. Like no, if you're it if you're paying yeah. attention, you like figure if... it out in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. But if you're not paying attention, at the end when it is revealed, if it surprises you as much as it surprises H. W. himself, then yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big that's a big reveal. So, but hold on uh, to go back to Bailey. You asked me, okay, talk more about the connection or the connection between the two of them being essentially the same person. I see them just that, as the same person, Eli and Daniel, except that Daniel is ever so slightly more savvy by the end of the film. He figures it out a little bit quicker than Eli does.
0: I think there's a little bit of a difference as well with, uh, one, what they're willing to put up with. Because as as you see, throughout the film, every single time someone, uh, I guess disses daniel i don't i couldn't think of another word Mm -hmm. or or like steps in place and is like this is what you should do he gets super mad and is like very furious almost and then every single time that either some that daniel steps in over eli he doesn't have that physical power able to uh do it as much as he uh, does with other people so it's kind of like i guess they are more similar and it's just one has more power than the other. So it's he's able to step over and more.
3: Perhaps so. I think another thing to add to that is that it's an, it, that's still another part of capitalism versus religion. Where yeah. you have Eli who must appear pious, who must appear humble. In order for his followers, in order for his power to work, he must have the followers who follow him. And they have to believe that he yeah. is who he says he is. Whereas... Daniel doesn't have to do anything. He just has to pay people a crap ton of money and he has that's power. That's fair. Over. Yeah. He and
0: dominates people good. through capital. Realize that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So that's my that's my short version. I mean, I could wax poetic about those two characters well, for yeah. quite a while. Yeah. Daniel plans that's you lies the entire movie, the entire movie. And he yeah, says really cool. anything that will give him the power to dominate yeah. the other person in that exact moment.
0: Which
2: if because if he's I may, good I just at analyzing that. people.
0: Which, if I may, I actually just realized something, uh, yeah. which how he's, he lies the entire movie, and then when he finds out that somebody else is lying, both times that he actually finds out that someone yeah. else has lied to him, he kills them he immediately kills after. Yeah, he, he murdered, yeah. I mean, he always he, knew yeah. that Eli I was not, lying By the way, he admitted it. They but, existed, but
3: yeah, and they did. Daniel lies the whole movie, uh, and it's, it, you see it even better when you watch it the second time, the third time. Yeah. And, and that's what I meant earlier is keeping track of when Daniel is being honest and when Daniel's lying. And I think one of the interesting, most fitting things is that we, mm-hmm. as the audience, are the only one that's capable of seeing that. No character yeah. in the film that's... is capable of seeing it. Not really. Maybe H.W., except he's too young to figure it out. And by the time he does figure it out, yeah. it's because his, his dad's too late. literally telling him to his
0: face. I definitely think we can touch on that uh, That relationship that those two have as well a little bit because the scene where um hw came back
1: to the house to like tell his dad that he was leaving was another really like impactful scene like the way daniel just kind of no holds bar. just like yells at him he's like you know what screw you and like earlier in the movie he like felt the remorse for you know abandoning mm-hmm. his child but now he just does not care
0: because i think yeah. the the difference in between him and him abandoning his child and hw quote-unquote abandoning him is that one is his choice <laughs> And yeah. so he feels he feels that remorse yeah. of what he's done rather than of what this other person mm-hmm. has done because that's one thing Daniel is very uh, g- touching back on his need for control again is mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. and t- and back on when he when he lies versus when other people lie to him it's it's this contrast of where he's able to do something and it's completely fine maybe he'll feel remorse. Well, I want to I want to throw then... this out
3: here real quick. I don't mean to cut you off because I want to hear the rest. No, yeah. But quick yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. So, my girlfriend is a therapist, which is super fun to watch films with her, when they have good <laughs> characters, because she has awesome insights into human psychology. And one yeah, thing that yeah. she pointed out was, one of the most typical human behaviors is to hate the thing that we hate about ourselves.
0: Yeah, okay. So,
3: Daniel, yeah. this I... is an example of what could be true, Daniel lies all the time. And we know that Daniel hates himself. We know that. At least, mm-hmm. yeah. well, I think so, at least. And... The fact that he sees other people lie to him and he's so enraged by it is to me another indicator that, yeah, he resents himself for who he is. So there's a lot of really good lines in this movie. Like, a lot of.
1: One of my favorite aspects of this whole movie is Daniel Day Lewis. um, No other actor could do this role. Like, I think he can do the, like, almost silliness of the role. Um with complete seriousness and have it be serious. Like, no one else can call someone a bastard from a basket, like, 30 times and, like, (laughs) make it sound serious. And And make you think that that's a real person
3: saying that to the real son that they actually love and they actually hate both together at the same time.
1: Exactly. And, like, the whole end scene in the bowling alley, like, no nobody else could do that. Like, that's... Daniel owned that. Like, that whole thing. That was, like, his. He took over it and he just ran away with it this okay. is
3: a film where mm-hmm. yeah. if you can't get the right lead actor the film does not work because it's just it's about him it's exactly. just about yeah. him
0: yeah. i mean it's not yep.
1: there's very, very few other roles that i could like could say the same thing about ironically enough i would say um anton Chigurh from no Country, even though
2: he's a
0: supporting actor one. yeah but, interesting but i agree yeah i yeah. still think it's one of the actors you couldn't Agreed. replace. and then yeah do you have anything to say about it mckenna
2: can we talk about Milkshake?
0: We can talk, we can talk about Milkshake. Yeah, let's, well, okay. We talk about milkshake. I, I, You yeah. know what? I want
3: to do one thing, and then we'll do Milkshake. Is that okay? Because yeah, yeah, I remembered uh-huh. what my comment with him and his son is. And it's essentially yes. what I just said, which is that it's really interesting to observe Daniel and his son because he very clearly loves H.W. unlike anyone else uh-huh. in the entire film, in his entire relationship as we know.
1: Um, I wanted to make a, a little counter to what you said about um, HW being the one thing it. he loves. I don't think I don't think he likes HW. I think he likes what HW helps him. Get, You're right, Because right? I think that's he even explains true. it where it's he has him there to just have the sort of family man image, and I don't think he likes having a son or having a boy. I think he likes that the boy makes him more money, and I that's why think... he's sad that when he abandons the boy and like. I think it's less about liking another person and more about liking that that person uh, generates. I'm going to uh, push mind. back. I personally think it's a I think bit you're of wrong. Both.
3: I think that yeah. he does, in fact, love right, a son. And enough. let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. He doesn't have that type of relationship with anyone else in the film, right? We don't see him kind of do that buddy. Mm. But remember, um, right before the final scene, when he goes downstairs to the bowling room, right after H.W. Mm-hmm. walks out, it does a flashback. And it shows him at the well. Yeah, and he's like, that's it's, true. it's this really weird scene in a good way where he's, like, pushing his son around. His son, like, H.W. holds out the hat and then, like, takes it back. And Daniel's, like, annoyed at him slightly. But then he, like, grabs the hat and he's smiling Mm and puts it on. And you can't quite tell if he's performing or not. Which is different than all the other times when you can very clearly tell that he's performing. And then, of course, he leaves his son and walks towards the well in a very fitting, you know. And at any anyway, rate, I truly believe yes. he loves his son. And that's the only reason he can be so cruel to him at the end. How could you be so cruel to someone that you didn't yeah. feel strongly for? He loves that boy, but he doesn't know what to do with the love once his son becomes ineffectual. He can't use his son, to your point, Caden, for what he always wanted mm-hmm. to use it for. And he doesn't know what to do anymore, which is why he abandons him. And he feels guilty, and he doesn't know what to yeah. do with the guilt because he can't think, do anything with it, so it turns into yeah. hate, which is also love.
0: Yeah, I personally think, yeah, I would like to touch on a bit of both, actually. Because one, obviously he did start out using HW as like this, oh, look at right. this cute face, he'll help me get money yeah, he, and stuff. Yeah, he admits it. I think uh, over time he does He yeah. does grow in love him. Uh, At least he loves him part ways, part not. And then one... Thing that makes him realize how much he loves him is one when he abandons him, you see one single tear drop from Mm -hmm. his face, and And, that's the yes, that's one single tear drop from his face as he's leaving him to be, and that's the like one of the biggest shows of like sadness emotion that I think he shows in the entire movie. But I also think he uses him as a saving grace for himself because. Uh, when he gets when he gets rid of him when he gets rid of hw he kind of becomes this darker person honestly and that's what ends up killing henry or that's when he ends up killing henry uh and when he abandons him in the second time uh, at the very end of the film he ends up going and killing eli as well so i definitely think uh hw is both part of the the oil business that he that he wants to keep going and stuff but it's part of him as a family man that he also doesn't know what to do with cuz he knows it's it's a lie partially at least mm-hmm. but he also wants to show this boy love and stuff it's very complicated which is yeah. honestly one of the best parts of the film it's, is how complicated yeah, this,
1: it is I think that is the be- the best part of this movie is the yep. characters and i mean obviously one character specifically being daniel but i think the characters are really what make this movie.
3: um, And let me throw out one more thing before we get to Um, the milkshake.
1: Yes, before before we let McKenna go off on the milkshake.
3: In addition to that, what I'll point out, I feel strongly that what Daniel really needs, he doesn't want it, but he needs it, is someone that he can connect with. And that's what HDW is going to be for him eventually until it can't be anymore because of the accident. And so he doesn't know what to do with his son. He sends his son away only after... He's met his fake brother, who he doesn't know is fake, and he gets another person who he feels like he can actually connect to, even though he doesn't want to. Yeah. Sends his son away, which, by the way, when the son sets the bed on fire, you guys remember that? Do you mm-hmm. did you know? Do you know why? Uh-huh. Yeah. He's reading. He's uh, reading no. the diary in one of the earlier scenes. He knows that Henry oh, is so he lying knows. and tries oh, to kill. I Henry. didn't realize yeah. that.
1: Okay. Yeah
3: another interesting point oh, but he sends cool his son detail. away yeah. and then ooh, yeah. and then he kills henry which by the way one of my favorite scenes is when henry is telling him you don't have to kill me i'll just leave and it's a one long take on his face and then it cuts and shows daniel's face and it's just rage personified the look in his oh. eye that's my favorite <laughs> shot in the entire film yeah but he kills he kills henry right and in pure rage and in pure you know loathing over how could someone and and then yeah he brings his son back because again i think that the thing that daniel needs but doesn't realize is that he needs someone to connect to but he can't do it because of who he is he can't help it
1: all right mckenna you seem eager to talk about the milkshake
2: milkshake okay first off when he was talking about milkshakes it totally took me off guard because i didn't know this milkshake scene was from this movie but I remember um, going to Megaplex, like, theaters oh, and stuff, really? and it's showing up beforehand, I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is the milkshake scene. But, um, yeah, they are talking about milkshakes, and I'm like, why are they talking about milkshakes? And they just hit me. I was like, hold on. The pipes are the straws, and the milkshake's the oil. But not only that, mm-hmm. is that um, it also is a battle of wits in that scene, because earlier we mm-hmm. see how Eli is being like, I'm not stupid, I can, I'm, you know, I'm smarter than you, Uh, I'm going to make it so that you do whatever I want, and then Daniel's like, "Um, I'm not stupid, and I'm going to do what I want, and then just the realization of Eli, realizing that Daniel totally messed him up, because he has no more oil or anything, Mm -hmm. mm, beautiful, and the acting, Mm -hmm. wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene, I want to say that that's my favorite like scene in the movie, but it's just barely beaten out by um, when the oil rig thing explodes.
3: Yeah. Hard to beat yeah. because
1: beautiful. the way like so, some of the, like my favorite line from that is, "Why are you miserable?" Uh, there's We're oil standing on a lake You're of like,
3: oil or an ocean of oil, an yeah.
1: ocean of oil, and I was like, "That is a good ass line" because people yeah. are like, like his son uh, is like messed up for life in the other room. Uh, Everyone is, like, panicking for their lives, and he's just like, this is pretty cool, I would uh, guess. Like, yeah. (laughs) yeah. He's just like, this is great. This is great for money. This This is the turning point for
3: Daniel. This is where he becomes the thing he's been threatening to become. Not to anyone except the audience.
0: I think my favorite scene in the film is possibly the milkshake scene, and if not, then it's the, I've abandoned my child, only because those I like the only reason those two are so close is because they work so well Mm -hmm. together. One being Eli getting back at Daniel for this entire time of abuse and using him. And then finally, even though Eli doesn't really use Daniel at all throughout. I mean, he does use him at some points, but not nearly as much as Daniel does for Eli. But throughout the rest of the film, Eli leaves Daniel alone. And then Daniel, Daniel never forgets that. So he, he turns it back on him and uses it towards him and humiliates him, bullies him, and then, you know.
2: The reason I like the milkshake scene, too, is because when we first see Daniel, he's passed out on the floor, drunk mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Eli comes in, yeah. obviously proving that he has all the power in this scene, coming over to him, kneeling over him, being like, the fi- the house is on fire, trying to scare him and stuff.
3: The smugness, then yeah, yeah. And it
2: slowly... Yeah, the power in the scene slowly shifts because Daniel gets the power, and in in the end, he's standing over Eli and is like, "Yeah, I did it."
1: Ooh. oh, laying he's on the ground, also slumping over on the ground. ground.
3: I would point out as well that I think it's I think you're exactly right, except that Eli never had the power; he just hasn't realized it yet.
2: Yeah, he just yeah. doesn't and he know, thinks and he, he thinks he, he
3: does, sense. which is what's so fun and interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, one th- thing I really like about the, the bowling alley milkshake scene is when, um, Daniel starts like chasing after him when he like knocks over the bucket mm-hmm. of water and, and it then hits it the, splashes camera. On the camera. That was, really that cool. was so cool. Like, I love, d- like it takes you out of it because it's like, Oh, I love when, I love, that. when, I love when
0: stuff in the movie interacts with the camera. Like, especially in horror movies when there's a kill or something like that. Lots yeah. of the times blood will hit the camera and splash onto mm-hmm. it. It's my favorite yeah. sort of thing.
1: The, it was just, because that whole scene, I was just sitting there absolutely flabbergasted, just gobsmacked that this was all about to go down. Like, yeah. it, <laughs> there's a couple of comments on the video of that scene on YouTube where it's like, yes. it's a shame that they really just let Daniel Day-Lewis just kill <laughs> Paul Dano like that. Because <laughs> like, the joke is that he was so dedicated to method acting that he just snapped when he started throwing bowling pins at him. <laughs> Which you know is pretty funny, don't and bully I me, I before don't <laughs> <the, the> bully. <laughs> that was so funny, but before I realized it, I before he started like beating him over the head with the pin, I rewinded it ten seconds. I'm like, did he hit him in the back or the head? Like, is he just hurt or is he like knocked out? Yeah, he's knocked out and then he uh, dies very very shortly <laughs> this after. This
2: whole that, movie, yeah. I was like, yeah. why is this rated R? And then the last scene, I'm like, oh, and that's why. And then you
3: find out. Think another
1: yeah. interesting
2: huh.
3: thing. Is That Paul I'm sorry Eli Is consistently Over and over Treats Daniel As though they're old friends In the final scene Which to me I assumed At the beginning of the scene The second time that I've watched it Because it's been a while I assumed that He was still Up with his facade I thought he was You know Doing the whole Facade thing But I Having watched it a second time I'm convinced that Eli Actually thought Of Daniel As his friend For some reason And I don't Yeah, One thing, I still am not sure why he would think like, that. I'm going to have to watch it again.
1: Yeah, but that, that makes a lot of sense, though, yeah.
3: Don't bully me, Daniel. Would you say that to someone who you didn't think of, right? Daniel, yeah. stop it! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eli,
1: you're pitiful. You're pitiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, it he really does act like old friends, and that's a good point, because it, like, from... Eli's first introduction to Daniel, he's trying to just like almost be buddies with him, but then it becomes a sort of power creep. Like the scene where he asks if he can give a speech at like the, the start right. of the oil thing. And Daniel's like, yeah, dude, absolutely. And mm-hmm. then just doesn't like that. I don't know what's special about that. Daniel Plainview right? does not like, give up yeah. power. Exactly. Yeah. That's
3: cause that's, that's what, yep. that's what Eli was trying to do. Right. Cause here's, here's the classic was, example from history. The Pope goes to King Henry and says, I will crown you king. And King Henry says, screw you. I'm going to make my own religion to not let you do it because I will not give up power. I will not kneel to you. And Daniel Day-Lewis, or sorry, Daniel Plainview does the exact same thing to Eli. He won't do it. He won't do it. He does it himself. He won't give up power.
1: This is just a really good movie all around. I, I, like... After this, I think if I rewatched it, I would uh, retroactively give it five stars rather than four and a half. I think so, too. Because I do think it's there's a lot of things I didn't realize, a lot of nuances.
3: I have two more thoughts.
1: Yes, let's the hear The first
3: of the two is the incredible use of violence in the film. Where, not necessarily yeah. inflicted by one person or the other. For example, in the very at the very beginning when one of his workers gets the pipe to the head and it mm-hmm. just happens it just ha- and and it's over yeah, yeah. in a matter of seconds which is what violence mm-hmm. is like in and real life often it. right the film the film is so yeah. grounded in what violence is actually like it feel it's that's part of what makes it so uneasy is because it's, the film lets you know right away listen bad things will happen in this film and they will happen out of nowhere you better be on your toes and then it follows through on it. Yeah. It follows through and on it all the way to the yeah. end. The use of violence is so grounded when he kills Henry, when
2: he yeah. kills,
3: uh, when the second guy dies in the second, when yeah. he kills Paul Dano, right? Every single time <laughs> violence happens, yeah. it's quick, It's and then it's to, done. It's brutal. And it's brutal. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, it's,
3: yep. yeah. I, and, and I really appreciate it about the film. One of the things that really makes it, very true. Successful. And there was, and there, be, blood. There there was be blood There was B-Blood. I guess another thought, <laughs> yeah. I have one middle one, which is, I have always uh-huh. thought of the title of the film, There Will Be Blood. I thought of it as yes, a promise yeah. to the I audience. The one time where you really, really, really see it, and the camera lingers on the dead body, because it does not do it for the other deaths, right?
1: No. it like, is like a quick It barely shows it. Other... But
3: on the final, final death, it lingers, and it really says, there it is. Look at it. There's the blood. I told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it is. That's my opinion. Okay. I don't know if that's actually true, but yeah. I...
1: yeah, no, that's that's a fair, that's a fair, that's a very fair one. No, that I looked it up, and I guess I think it's a biblical reference. I think it's like a reference Possibly. to that one surprise or or
2: I thought like yeah. I yeah. thought it was about the oil. Like there will be blood because oil's like the blood the of the blood earth. Of I the blood of the land. Yeah. Sure. So like yeah, there I, will yeah. be blood. He's finding the blood.
3: I like that interpretation. I have one final one final thing for us to discuss, which is the final line of the movie. Perhaps my favorite final line of a movie of all time. Which is where the butler comes down and he sees Daniel mm-hmm. Plainview line you're sitting there, and he says, you know, sir, whatever, are you alright? And we get a little pause, and Daniel's facing away from the camera and goes, I'm finished. More silence. Yes. Yes. Cue the strings. Roll credits. Incredible ending. And I want to know what you guys think. What is the way that the audience should interpret what Daniel says? That is to say, I'm finished. What does he mean by that? That's what I want to know from you guys, because this is the question that you get a million different answers from a million different people. And they're all interesting.
2: I think it means that he has He has finished his mission pretty much. He has gotten all this oil. He has built an empire. And he has um, destroyed pretty much the thing that would deny him. That's what I think it is. Mm
3: -hmm. I like it. That's
2: cool. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah.
1: I think it means his goal is finished. Um, Because his goal was to, like after meeting Eli and all that, his goal was to just get back at him. And also, you know, be filthy rich. And he, when he finally ends it all, he's finished. He's he's accomplished everything he wants. He's done it. Finished. You know? And, yeah, I mean, the other I thought like I had was that he's fin Like, and this is probably my least favorite explanation of it, is that he's finished in terms of, like, as a person. It's like, nah, oh, I'm done for, I'm finished. One. It's not necessarily Which, wrong, but it's more. not interesting. It's, yeah, it's the least interesting, but, Yeah. Yeah, you go off.
0: I think I mostly agree with you, Caden, where he's he's or at least he's finished his goal. But I think it's more of the this moral war that he set himself on with Eli, kind of. And he's like mm-hmm. he's finally finished with this revenge that he's probably been wanting for a while, I bet, for the humiliation that he received at the at the uh I lost at the I've abandoned my child mm. scene. I think it's just yeah. finally him being like, I finally won. I'm done. Kind of like that. Okay. Here's mine. Do you have any specific way of looking at it, I've got a couple.
3: Gregor? Here's the one that I've been thinking about after watching it the second time, which is mm-hmm. the question that I'm going to ask rhetorically, what does it take to become a billionaire? And the rhetorical answer, without thinking about it too much, to me, is either you inherit a whole ton of money, or... You, like <laughs> Daniel Plainview does in this film, manipulate and exploit other people in order to get as much money as possible, right? You lie, you cheat, you steal, yeah. and you can, you can become, maybe not a billionaire, but certainly very, very, very rich. And an interesting take on this film, and I don't mean to compare them directly because I don't think that this is a fair comparison to these people, but I think there's some interesting ideas if you compare Daniel Plainview to a person like elon musk to a person like jeff bezos to a person like yeah mark zuckerberg right the the visible billionaires that we have modernly and yeah what does it take to be a person like that well you have to be you have to be willing to cause incredible harm violence and even death to other people if not directly indirectly and just not care it takes an incredible amount of I only care about myself. This drive to dominate, this drive to not see anyone else succeed, right? It's really... Losing a lot of humanity as well. And the other... And then leading up to him being, I'm finished. uh, I think one of the most interesting observations with Daniel is the change in him from the time, the last time skip from when his son and his future wife are young to when we time skip to them getting married. The change we see in Daniel from this, you know, bitter but successful man to what is essentially a husk of a person who is filled with nothing but resentment and bitterness towards the people who he hates for whatever reason he feels like hating them. And to me, I'm finished at the end is a nice summation of, well, I'm not sure if there's anything left for me to do. I think I've done everything i've gotten my revenge for everything i can think of i've made my riches and now what else is there to live for which is paralleled by his conversation with the oil guy in the very middle part of the thing where he says if i sell to you what would i do with my life and the guy's like yeah i don't know what That's would you great. do with your life and daniel's i think daniel's sincerely asking the guy one rich person to another no, really. What what am I going to do? Yeah, like, if what, not what, what, if not do what there, I've yeah. always done and exploit people and grind and he finally gets there at the end of the
0: film? For sure. Yeah. Overall, this is just a really 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 good movie, honestly.
1: Well, I think that about wraps it up. We need to pick the next the movie for next week. It is my pick. Uh and the movie next week is Beetlejuice. 1988. Good
3: choice, good choice. Ooh,
1: Michael Key. Yeah. yeah
3: very
1: I cool. I told a couple people about that that's gonna be the next movie and they're like, you should have waited till Halloween. And I'm like, I have a couple other movies ready for Halloween time. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, um, for coming on the podcast, Mr. McGregor. Uh it's yeah, very thank cool. You. Yes, thank um, you, this Mr was McGregor. So fun.
3: This was so I truly this was so much fun.
1: We'll definitely wanna have you back, uh Maybe for one of the horror movies in October, I'll have you come back. Are you passionate about Are you passionate about The Thing, oh, perhaps? Now, here's, <laughs> here's
3: The Thing. <laughs> about The Thing. <laughs> I know about The Thing. I know too much about The Thing for my own good because I have not seen it. So maybe you guys can wax poetic to me and, 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 and show me a thing or two. I would love that. All right.
1: Thank you all for listening and see you next week. Don't forget to watch Beatles. Yeah, thank you.
2: Finished.